Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host Denise Messenger for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Preserve and protect your health by listening live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Hello, listeners. Today is November 6th, 2013. I'm so excited. My guest today is Alan Klein, and he has written over 19 books, which have sold over 600,000 copies. That's quite an achievement. And I don't know about you all, but I love to laugh. I think the healing power of humor is incredible. He's also written a book called The Healing Power of Humor, which we will discuss today. He is often um, called a jollytologist. That's a new one for me. Uh, he's an award-winning professional speaker and a recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. He's also a certified speaking professional with a designation from the National Speakers Association and a Toastmasters Communication and Leadership Award recipient. So now I would love to introduce to all of you Alan Klein. Hi, Alan. Hello, Denise. Happy <laughs> Tuesday or whatever day this show is on the air. <laughs> well, no, no, it's not Tuesday. So... It's Wednesday. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a day behind. <laughs> You're you're silly. So, I love silly. Um, I think silly is great. So do I. I always um, love to start my show out with asking my guests how they got on the path that they're on today. Oh, well, God, do we have a couple of hours? <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Almost. Well, Almost I, uh, it depends how far back we want to go, but um, <laughs> not not to make it too long. Um, I guess as a jollytologist and kind of a, an authority expert, whatever that is, on therapeutic humor, it started out of a time, uh, not so great time, I guess, in my life. My we moved. My wife and I lived in, San, in New York City and moved to San Francisco, which is her hometown, and, and we always wanted to have a Victorian house and got the house and found out um, she had a rare liver disease, and there was no liver transplants at the time. Um, there was no cure for it, and she passed away three years later and she, at 34. And needless to say, it was a very, very difficult time. But it was a time also when Norman Cousins, in his book, Anatomy of an Illness, was talking about how he healed himself with humor. And I, I kind of knew about that book and his work. And I noticed how she was always very funny and we laughed a lot together. In fact, a lot of our friends were separating, getting divorced, and we'd always question, why are we still together? And the main answer was because we laughed together so much. And mm. then she got, she got this illness, and um, I, I just started hearing about humor and realizing her, the way she used humor to help her cope and people around her cope with what she was going through. 
And that's not to say there wasn't a lot of tears. There were a lot of tears, but there was the humor every now and then would kind of pop up its head. And looking back, I realized how therapeutic that was and how it, if only for 10, 20 seconds, how it helped us rise above that situation, how -hmm. it gave us a reprieve, how it gave us a different perspective of what was going on. And so after she passed away, I gave up a business I had in San Francisco, a silk screening business. And um, as I say, it was Norman Cousins' time. And so I start researching the therapeutic value of humor. I went back to school to learn about it, gave up that business, went back to school to learn about therapeutic humor. And um, my thesis was The Healing Power of Humor, which told, turned into my first book, although although the the writing is very different than the thesis. And mm-hmm. so I never thought I would do it. And then I start speaking about therapeutic humor all over the country and actually the world, never thinking I would be a professional speaker because I almost failed speech in college. <laughs> but I had such a passion mm-hmm. to tell people about how humor could help us get through anything and to lighten up folks and that you're not going to get out of this world alive. Um, enjoy yourself while you're here and stop being so serious. And so it just was a path that kind of, you know, I really think I, I believe in higher power and I really think that it, it came from a higher power and chose me to um, do this, this work. It's mm, an amazing story. I always find it interesting um, you know, I've had a lot of guests this year, and it, there seems to be a common theme where there was some trauma in their lives that took them off one path and started them on another one. Mm-hmm. And that other path has always been the most satisfying for them. Right. And, you know, I, I've been lately looking at, and this is very related, how we're very grateful or we should be, we're not always, but often we're grateful when good things happen to us. Mm-hmm. But I really think we need to start being grateful for when those not so good things happen to us. Because those are the things that knock us on the head and say, wake up. Those are the things, as you just said, put us on another path that often is more satisfying than the path we were on. Those are the times we wake up for the lessons that are there for us. Mm-hmm. And to to start being grateful, and I haven't completely formed this in my head yet, but being grateful for the negative, all the negative stuff in our life, because that sometimes is the most valuable. I agree. Crazy as it sounds. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, we're blasé about stuff that we don't pay attention. And mm-hmm. when these not-so-great stuff happens to us, we start paying attention. You know, I noticed when my wife died, and I just thought about this, when my wife died, she was 34, so she had friends, you know, early 30s, and they all start examining, and most of them start examining their life, like going on a diet or stop smoking, or because someone that close to them, their age had died, and I guess it wakes us up to, hey, this could be me. Mm-hmm. And so it changed a lot of people's lives. And, you know, it's another example, I think, of how death, dying, accidents, tragedy, you know, we realize what's important in our life. And mm-hmm. it's not always our work, and it's not always making money, you know. it's Maybe it's paying more attention to our family or doing more important work in the world or helping other people and... I don't think we see that when things are going along on a regular pace. We only see that when some something, you know, major comes in front of us to say you need to change what you're doing. Or here's an opportunity mm-hmm. at least to change what you're doing. In your uh your book The Healing Power of Humor, you Talk about the techniques for getting through loss and setbacks and upsets and disappointments and difficulties. I mean, we could go on and on. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's life itself. 
Um, yeah, in, in fact, any... you, you're reading part of the subtitle, which the publisher loved. My editor didn't like is that it's way too long. But it really, <laughs> what I liked about it, it really said what the book's about, and and uh, the full subtitle is techniques for getting through loss, setbacks, upsets, difficult, I mean, disappointments, difficulties, trials, tribulations, <laughs> and all that not so funny stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's really what the book is about, um, how how to find and use humor to get through all that not-so-funny stuff. Why don't you talk a little bit about the world as your laugh lab? <laughs> well, you know, every, I think every day there's things to laugh about, and uh, we get so stressed out um, that we, we don't see it, you know? We just... Um, we get into the murky waters and, and don't see that the sun is shining. And um, I'm, I'm working on another book right now. Uh, I don't have a publisher yet, but it's called You Can't Ruin My Day. And I bring <laughs> that up now with, you know, your world is a laugh lab because the world is the way it is. And we let other people, we let other situations ruin our day. And we, the point of that other book that I'm writing is that we could take back our power and have a great day every day in spite of what's happening to us. And so mm-hmm. the world is your laugh lab. I mean, there is humor all around. I, one example, uh, Denise, I was in a laundromat and there was a sign on the wall and it said, when the machine stops, remove all your clothing. <laughs> 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 that is a good one, isn't it? <laughs> you know, there, there's Such just like, uh, and and what I find too is the more we can play with the situations around us, uh-huh. the lighter the lighter we see things. Um, it, it because it rubs off on other people, and so they want to play too. I mean, when we grew up as a child, what do how do we learn the world around us? We played with everything. And mm-hmm. and we'd laugh, you know, sometimes the carton that a toy came in was, was more playful. We loved that better than the actual toy because we're creative as a young, as a young child and we mm-hmm. play with it and we have fun with it. And it didn't matter that that wasn't the gift. <laughs> you know, and I see this over and over again, like a couple of years ago, my plane was canceled and we had to wait another three hours for a flight, another plane, and all the adults were getting so upset. They were letting that situation ruin their day. And I noticed two kids right near me, they took out their little cars, you know, little six-inch cars, and they put them on the rug, and the rug had this pattern. And so they made um, like a highway for the little cars to go on because of the rug pattern. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, here they're having a great time. You know, they're passing the time in a very kind of playful way. They're not looking at their watch all the time, waiting for the plane to take off. And all the adults around them are, are getting really antsy and upset and stressed out because the plane is, is delayed. Same situation looked at differently. So the world, I think, is a laugh lab. There is just humor all around us. I mean, my daughter, my daughter is now fully grown adult, I forty-five, I think. Um, we still go down the street. Sometimes we'll go to a a parking meter, and we make believe it's a microphone, and we we both like sing <laughs> into it. Um, you know, but that's mm. what I'm saying. Every To a child, everything is a toy. Everything mm-hmm. is something to be played with. And I think if adults can see the world like that, um, they'd be much happier. Why do you suppose we lost that? Well, I don't know about you, but when I grew up, teachers told me to settle down, get serious, wipe that smirk mm-hmm. off your face. You know, pressure on what are you going to be when you grow up, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I think I think adults kind of 
pressure on kids and, and try to get them to grow up way too soon. You know, I think, I think some parents are planning on their, where their child's going to go to college, even though the child's only 10 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of crazy. Or, or I, I saw a movie, I can't remember the name, but it was in New York City, and it was about getting into preschool. I don't know if you saw that movie, but it was fascinating how these parents, like this, this huge competition, and they're oh, so upset when the child doesn't get into like the school they wanted, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how there's 250 people on the waiting list, and they're trying to bribe the head person, and all this stuff, and the kids, it's only grade um, preschool. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's nutty. It's nuts. And and um, well, yeah. Well, a lot of yeah. that has to do with um, you know population, and mm-hmm. um, you know the schools only have so many spots, so it creates that. Yeah, but um, you know, does does your child have to go to that school just because you think it's so prestigious? Mm. Well, sometimes I don't know. It it's, not, it's um yeah. Sometimes just, it may not not be that. It might just be um, you know, where they live and mm-hmm. um, not having yeah, to travel. Yeah, it was New York City. Somehow. It's a great film. I can't remember the name of it. Um you know, mm. it's New York City. Yep. Their choices were like so great. It didn't have to be that school, but they wanted oh, that okay. school. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's a very um, <laughs> interesting film about uh, adults and, uh, again, their seriousness and their kind of craziness. That, mm-hmm. um, And I'm from New York City. I was born in Manhattan. So I know some of that. I had some of that growing up. Mm-hmm. Not getting into private schools. I, I went to public schools, but... Um, you know, some of the public, I went to Hunter College and it was an incredible school. And in fact, I wanted to be a scenic designer. And um, one of my professors there got me into Yale Drama School because he was uh, doing lighting at the Metropolitan Opera. Hmm. And another art professor um, had work in the in the Metropolitan Museum. And in fact, his I'm going to New York in a couple of weeks. His, his, I'll see his sculpture hanging at Lincoln Center. Oh, my God. So it had all these great people, and it was a city school. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, you know, you, you talk about how life doesn't always give us what we plan for. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we end up with the complete opposite, and you call that irony. Mm-hmm. Oh, str- one of my... Techniques is strike while the irony is hot. <laughs> um, but you know what? If you want an example from that chapter, I can't give it to mm-hmm. you. <laughs> because I wrote the book. The book came out in 1989. So I wrote it probably in 87. Oh, so that's a long... Yeah. I mean, the, it's that's amazing. This go. book, like Everready Battery, it just keeps going. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I'd have to. I have well, the book could, in front of me. You could probably Maybe apply it to a lot, a lot of different situations. I mean, ironies—it's everywhere. Irony, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can, uh, in your job, you could end up getting a really great raise, and then come home and find out that your rent has just increased. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> something like that. Well, but, yeah. But I also see. I, I'm also. Uh, believe in prosper a lot of prosperity so um sure your rent has increased but now you have the money i mean it's how you look at that but now you have mm-hmm. the money to pay for that rent increase mm-hmm. and, and this is what i'm saying it's kind of related to humor is is having this positive attitude um because okay so you get the raise you come home you find your rent went up but so how do you look at that Oh, here I thought I had the extra money, and now I don't. How awful. Or do you look at, oh, the rent went up, and now I have the money to pay for it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of um, 
being positive and being up, uplifted and up, you know, feeling great and happy and finding him in this world is how you look at your attitude, how you look at Very things. much so. Very yeah. much so. You can apply that to just about any and everything. Typically, your outcomes are going to be a lot better with a positive attitude than a negative one. It almost mm-hmm. seems like negative attitudes attract negativity. Mm. So things just get worse and worse and worse. Oh, tell me. I <laughs> My father was so, I loved him, but he was so negative. Um, you know, it's, he was the kind of the half, gla- half empty glass. And, mm-hmm. um, and it really annoyed me. My whole life it annoyed me. And then as he got older and I got older, I realized how how nonsensical some of the things he was the way he, he was thinking, and I just start to laugh. One example: they had moved to Florida. I went down to help them unpack, and for about a week, he was complaining that um, the uh, wall, the baseboard switches didn't work. You know the the outlets and the baseboard, and mm-hmm. I said, "Dad, why don't you just call the maintenance man?" You know, you're all. And he said, "Well, you never know when they're coming. Um, I may not be here." And I said, "Dad, you never go out of the house. <laughs> How could you not be here?" And so I started laughing at that. And then the day I was packing to leave to come back to California, I put on the wall switch, and mm-hmm. all the baseboards start working. And I start laughing because every day he complained that they weren't working. Um, so sometimes this negative stuff was just, for me, I, I started to, and maybe your listeners can use some of this, uh, is just step back and make believe you're watching it from a, like you're a TV camera and just watching it. Because mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons we don't laugh and see the world as a laugh lab is because you you get so stressed out, you get so caught up in that, whatever that thing is that you don't like, you get caught up in it. And, and if you could just step back a little and see mm-hmm. it from a different perspective, which is what humor does, um, then you, you may not um, be so stressed out by it. Yeah, I, um, I met a woman a couple of weeks ago, and she was kind of sharing her her experiences over the past six months, and it was one negative experience after another. It was just constant, <laughs> and I couldn't help thinking. I mean, you know, you're talking about some some pretty major events, like getting robbed, um, um, somebody at- physically attacking her, mm-hmm. uh, her tire slashed on her car, and they they were all separate events. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't mm-hmm. help thinking. You know, she's got to be putting something out in the universe on a negative side. And others are picking up on it. Yeah, exactly. Because how could somebody have that kind of bad luck on a consistent basis like that? Mm Mm-hmm. You just reminded me of another story about my dad. Um, He would never fly. He said he was claustrophobic, Mm -hmm. even though planes are bigger than his whole apartment. But... um, (laughs) So they took the train across country from New York to California to see me. And for a month, he, every time I spoke to him on the phone, he he would be worried that they had to change trains in Chicago and they would lose his luggage or his luggage would get on a different train. Every day, every time I spoke to him, wasn't every day, but every other day, you know, three times a week, he would complain about that. Mm-hmm. What do you think happened to his luggage when they got to Chicago? It got lost. It, it got lost. It didn't get on the right train. Now, <laughs> it might have happened anyhow if he was positive <laughs> about it, but mm. he he was ruining part of his day every time he complained about it. Although, uh-huh. who knows, maybe he got pleasure out of that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I do believe we, we create our reality. I'm curious, um, where was he brought up? Was he brought up in New York? Yeah, yeah. We lived in the Bronx, and then, um, yeah, I guess he lived in the Bronx the whole time. I moved to Manhattan, but, yeah, he was brought up in New York, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting he had that attitude. You know, I was thinking maybe yeah. if he had, you know, went through the war, 
or something and had a bad experience. Yeah, I don't. I, I, you know, there was. Um, I'm Jewish, and my my grandfather was, and his father was a Jewish tailor, and not a lot of money. And you know, every time I'd go over there, they would, um, you know, turn the lights off if I turned them on, and you know, every penny, you know, was count. And I think. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think maybe that's part of it. Um, growing up poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't really know. I don't know where that came from. Um, huh. And and in fact, again, you know, oh, this goes right back to being grateful for our negative stuff. Mm-hmm. I think I'm so positive because my dad was so negative. Because as mm-hmm. a teenager, you know, teenagers often want to do the opposite of what their parents tell them. And that's exactly mm-hmm. what I did. Whatever my dad said I can't do, I would do. So if he was negative, <laughs> I was positive. Mm-hmm. He said I could smoke I, when I was yeah. 15, and I, all my friends mm-hmm. start smoking behind their parents' back, and I did mm-hmm. not smoke because I was doing the opposite yeah. of what he said. That's, that's so funny because I experienced that as an adult in a uh-huh. you know, male-female relationship where I was told... You know, you can't you can't go do that kind of work. You don't know anything about it. Uh-huh. You know, you're going to fail at that. So what do you think I would go do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would go get that job, and I'd be successful yeah. with it. So. And you know, the, what you bring up for me is, I at seven years old, I was taken to my first two Broadway shows, Oklahoma and Carousel. And from oh. that day on, I wanted to be a scenic designer, the person that makes those pretty stage pictures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I got into Yale Drama School. As I said, my college professor got me in there. It's a three-year master's. I was kicked out after the first year. And I was told I had no talent. And I was heartbroken. Mm. And I went back to New York City. I became an apprentice in the Scenic Design Union. To three years, I had a job at CBS designing national productions, and my oh. fellow classmates were still at school doing school plays. Oh, that's that's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we don't know what's down the road for us. Um, and, mm-hmm. and one of the things, and you brought this up, is like I kept thinking, you can't tell me I'm not a scenic designer. I wanted to be a scenic designer since I was seven years old. You cannot, again, my next book, you cannot ruin my day. And mm-hmm. I did not, in fact, it made me stronger and more um, powerful and wanting to be a scenic designer even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. More determined. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So getting so, back to... Um, um, Humor techniques, if we can. Um, um, more techniques? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're not talking a lot about that. We've gotten off on tangents here, but I think they're important <laughs> tangents. So, um, <laughs> I do well, too. you know, my favorite one is because the world is so negative. I mean, you put on the news right now. You look in the newspaper. It's pretty dismal. So mm-hmm. I think on a daily, even hourly, minute basis, we need to remind ourselves to lighten up. So I carry sponge rubber clown noses around, put it on in difficult situations. <laughs> Even if I'm alone, put it on and look in the mirror because I start smiling. I'm in my office right now. I'm looking around. I have, um, and I know this is coming from a grown man, but I have Teletubby dolls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have a picture of my daughter with a pie being thrown in her face when she was a teenager because she always wanted oh. that. Um, I have a signed autograph from Woody Allen because I love Woody Allen. Um, I have a closet that has a big sign on it that said toys on it. It doesn't have toys mm-hmm. in it, but from that sign is hanging a rubber chicken who has a red clown nose on, the rubber chicken. <laughs> What I'm saying is I just surround myself with things that help me to lighten up. Right, and right. For people that are not jollytologists, um, just have photos of, of your kids, your grandkids that make you smile. Um, 
one-frame cartoons that you may enjoy, um, anything that lifts your spirits. Have that around, and when things aren't going well, look at that. So, you know, a prop, a toy, because mm-hmm. you need those reminders all the time to counteract all the negative things that you're reminded of every single day. Yeah, that's that's good. I have in my office a plaque. It says, um, I've gone to find myself. If I get back <laughs> before I return, keep me here. somehow that resonated with me (laughs) yeah yeah you see everyone will have their own little um thing around um i have a a sign that sometimes i put on the mirror in the bathroom that says this person is not to be taken seriously Mm -hmm. Um, just a reminder that (laughs) um to lighten up because I, I truly believe we need those reminders because we're being bombarded by so many negative uh, reminders. So that's, you know, have toys around is another technique. And I just told you some of mine. Oh, I'm looking at a Laurel and Hardy uh, little plastic dolls, a clown that somebody gave me, Mickey Mouse gloves that are really big hands. Um, just stuff that just lightens me up. And then other people might, you know, um, find out who your favorite comedian is, watch those movies, the TV sitcoms. Just just try to get more of that um, in your life. Hang around kids is another. T- kids are so incredible. I mean, go. you don't have kids of your own. Go to a playground and just sit there and watch them play. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. Oh, and they're so yeah. wise. I remember... Talking about the healing power of humor. When I was writing mm-hmm. my first book, I was under a deadline and just writing, writing, writing. And my daughter would come in my office. She was a young teenager at the time and, you know, tell me about all this stuff, you know, that wasn't important. And I said, can't this wait? Can't this wait? No, no, i got to tell you now. So finally I got really annoyed because as a writer, you start, you're getting these thoughts. And then when you're interrupted, it's hard mm-hmm. to get them back sometimes. So Mm -hmm. I shut my office door and I put this big sign on it that said, do not interrupt unless it's an emergency. (laughs) So 10 minutes later, 10 minutes later, of course, what happens? Knock on the door, you know, and I scream, you know, lose Mm -hmm. my temper, scream, Sarah, what do you want? Is this an emergency? And she said, yes, Dad, it's an emergency. So I open the door. Okay, Sarah, what's the emergency? She said, I had to tell you I love you. Aww. You know, and my heart <laughs> sunk. And it's like, Aww. you know, it's like she was teaching me a lesson. And, and what I uh-huh. got out of that was, I'm writing a book about humor, and here I'm not lightening up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it took her to show me, uh, Dad, you got to lighten up about this. You know, um, we're kind of talking author to author, and um, in all the 19 books that you've written, do you have a special story that you can share with us um, relative to feedback that you've received? In other words, I know with, like with my book, I get feedback on how it saves lives. Right, and, exactly. Um, What's your book? And, and it just warms my heart. Uh, gut cancer now what? It's a layperson's ah. guide for the newly diagnosed. Uh huh. And since you know, it's like one out of three is being diagnosed with cancer these days. Um, right. It's particularly important. Right. It's important work. And, right. You know, oh, it's, definitely. It's a map. So yeah, well, I, I do get um, so many stories of how the book people's life in fact i just got an email saying you know i love your writing i'm going through a a bad time right now and uh thank you keep writing and it's for those people you know the one or two because you know if there's one or two writing to you there's lots more that you're helping but Mm -hmm. what really surprised me because i also have part of my 19 books right now i have six uh Quotation books, motivational, inspiration quotation books. 
Mm-hmm. One just came out this um, this month. It's called Always Look on the Bright Side. And oh, they've got okay. 500 quotations in each book, uplifting, motivational, different categories. So this was years ago. I had uh, Right now they're published by Viva Editions, but years ago they were published by a division of Random House. Okay. And um, I got this letter well, first of all, I was <clears throat> I was contracted to write three books for them. And by the third book, I'm going, Alan, what are you doing? Why are you just, these are not really writing. You're just assembling, you know, book, uh, quotes and how is this going to help people? And then just as I was feeling like, what am I doing? You know, like, Alan, why, why don't you write a real book? <laughs> Uh, like The Healing Power of Humor or The Courage to Laugh, which was my second book, I got this letter from this woman. It was a two-page letter, and she said, I just picked up one of your quotation books. She said, and let me tell you my story. She said, when I was a teenager, I was raped twice, and I never, Mm. for 55 years, she said, I never told anyone about it. She said, and I found this one quote in your book, and it was about taking back your power. And she said, I've posted that all over my house. She said, I've taken back my power now because of that quotation. And you have changed my life. Mm. And I thought, <laughs> here I'm thinking, yeah. stop writing these stupid quotation books. And, and look what it did to this one person. And then I got another one from a teenager whose dad had died and, and like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean it's amazing when you when you put um stuff like this out in the world what comes back. Mhm. It really is. How did you get on the path um with public speaking and workshops? How did that come about? Well, um let me um I um trying to think when it first started. I know. For my um, thesis, I had to do, I didn't have to do a a thesis actually in writing. I had to do a presentation, a three-hour presentation on therapeutic humor. And so I did that. Yeah. But I did that, and I thought, well, if I'm going to do a workshop like that on therapeutic humor... Um, maybe I can sell it to some of the colleges in the Bay Area for their continuing education uh, workshops Uh-oh. on Saturday. And so I got the first, I wrote a letter to 10 colleges, and a couple of them hired me. And the very first one, they put me in a room that held 40 people, and we had 60 people in the workshop. So I, Gee. you know, right away I knew this was a topic that people were interested in. And mm-hmm. after the workshop, one nurse came up to me and said, I love this. I'm sure it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible workshop considering <laughs> it was my first one. But she said, I love this, and we're having a luncheon next month, all nurses, 100 nurses. Could you come and we'll give you lunch? Could you do, you know, mm-hmm. a half hour, an hour or something? Mm-hmm. And I did that, and then and two other nurses came up, and then I I went to a National Speakers Association, and a woman said, this is in the elevator. She wanted to know what I did. I told her, she said, you should be speaking at um, nursing homes, nursing home administrators. So she gave me the list of all of them, and I marketed to them. I've since spoken at 13 of their conferences. Um, it just, like, naturally just grew and grew and grew. And after the one workshop to the college, to that one college in, in San Francisco, I, I went around to all of the uh, state colleges to do that uh, therapeutic humor program because it was so successful. So it just came to me. I almost failed speech in college. I think I got a D or a D minus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hated getting up in front of a group to speak. I still get nervous. Um, Everybody does. Yeah, well, I heard when I heard Barbara Streisand did not do a live concert for 20 years because she got so nervous mm-hmm. in front of a group. You know, mm-hmm. she did 
record still because she was in the studio and could re-record it, but not a live mm-hmm. concert. And I thought, hey, if Barbara Streisand can get nervous, <laughs> Alan Klein can get nervous. Yeah, everybody does. Yeah. And then I, then, you know, some of the biggies, I saw Lily Tomlin uh, before her show got to Broadway. She did it in San Francisco. And she actually came out with some of the skits with a notebook and, and like read some of it almost. And, and one of them, she stopped like a quarter of the way in and went, this isn't coming out right. I'm going to start over again. And I thought <laughs> if Lily Tomlin could do stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. I I could I could make mistakes. You know, I could do it. And what I learn now is, particularly because I speak about humor, is um, things aren't going right. Just um, you know, see, try to find some humor in it. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just wrote an article in this month's Speakers Magazine about uh, Pratt Falls on the platform, and a friend of mine actually fell off the platform because it was so dark. And Uh. she wasn't hurt. You know, it was a couple of feet high. She she wasn't hurt, but she was on the floor with her microphone, and she said she did a great comeback, and she said, and now for some words from the floor. (laughs) 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 That was great. She's clever. Yeah. Um, So... you know, whatever happens, I mean, you could try to find something lighter about it. Mm-hmm. And so I think we were talking about my path of being a speaker. So that, right. that's how I got into that. It was kind of a natural to start flowing. Uh-huh. And then uh, what do you teach people? Pretty much what we've been talking about or... Yeah, I actually, years ago I heard one speaker say, you don't need new material all the time. What you need is a new audience. (laughs) So I have one speech that I've been doing for 20 some odd years. I change it for audiences in different ways. But when I say one, and it goes anywhere from 20 minutes to six hours, um, wow. But what I do is I just insert little things. Um, I'm, it's very interactive. And I oh, this is my structure is why when I say I have one speech, it really changes. But my structure is to go over the letters L-A-U-G-H. Mm-hmm. And with e- in each of those letters, there's a couple of exercises, stories, uh, interaction with the audience. And that's where the length and the, the content sometimes changes for that particular audience. So I'm sure you want to know what the letters are, right? What they mm-hmm. stand for. Yes, <laughs> I knew you would ask. L is <laughs> <laughs> um, let go because when we're holding on to anything, we can't laugh about it. When we're angry, frustrated, mm-hmm. upset, we certainly can't laugh about it. So L is let go. And mm-hmm. I do some processes, and they're like, I give out a balloon to everyone in the audience, and they blow their stress into the balloon. And then oh. on the count of three, I ask them to let go of the balloon and let go of that oh. stress. And it's, it's such a great, a great visual. Uh-huh. Say I'm speaking to 500 people to see 500 balloons fly around the room. <laughs> That's great. I like that. And it's something they can take home, you know, use, get a balloon, you're stressed out, blow it up and let it go. <laughs> so that's one thing I do in like the L. Then A is attitude, mm-hmm. and we've been talking a little about that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have stories of how people, um, people with AIDS, people with cancer, people dealing with lingering loss, sudden loss, how they use humor. Mm-hmm. And... Um, because I think, you know, people like that can find some humor. Like if you find people, you're writing about cancer, and I do have examples of people with cancer that have found um, humor, then we can all find some humor in traffic jams or when you're laid off mm-hmm. from your job or whatever it is. You know, if those people with life-challenging illnesses could find humor, mm-hmm. I think we could all find some. So I talk about attitude. Oh, definitely. definitely. Yeah. 
I have a little uh, exercise I do where, uh, depending on the industry, say one person's a doctor, one's a nurse, and I have these very positive words up and have these very negative words and ask them to do this little argument with like maybe the doctor's yelling at the nurse and she's getting upset. And then I call out a positive word like giggle and they both have to argue and giggle. And then I might call out a, a negative word for the negative side and mm-hmm. like depressed and they both argue as, as if they're depressed. And it's very funny. It's very entertaining. But my point is you can't be in the positive and the negative side at the same time mm-hmm. because your brain doesn't work that way. You're always deciding which column you're on and to try to stay positive and mm-hmm. change your attitude to to be positive. So it's a, uh, my workshops are fun, they're entertaining, but they all have a message to whatever I'm, I'm what exercise we're doing. And then the U, um, I couldn't find a word that, <laughs> that fits, so U is for Y-O-U, that people need to uh, go find some ways to lighten up, and that's where I have some of the techniques in the healing power of humor and that continues in the g which is to go do it go find some humor and then the h is for uh humor eyes and humor ears to look and listen for humor because it's truly all around us and i have Mm -hmm. some examples um overheads signs you know from various places Mm -hmm. that are funny um so there's a lot of laughter, but there's a lot of um, inspirational. You know, I tell the story about my wife and the humor she used. And um, there's often tears because I think tears and laughter are very close. So when I tell that story, it's um, there's uh, some tears there too. Oh, I bet. So how can people find and buy your books? Well... They can go to Amazon if they'd like and put my name in, Alan, A-L-L-E-N-K-L-E-I-N, and all of them are there. Or they can go to my website, which um, there's a lot of links they can go to. One is my books. The other is articles they can use or in their newsletters, in their quotes, in their um, online uh, blogs, whatever. But just go to my website, and that is www dot alankline.com only caveat they need to spell my name right because both names could be spelled various ways so it's a-l-l-e-n-k-l-e-i-n.com excellent so what's going to be the release date on the book you're working on now well i don't have the publisher yet <laughs> So I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. I do have another book coming out. And I just saw the cover yesterday, which is Viva Editions does these beautiful covers. And um, trying to remember the title of that. Um, Always look on the bright side. No, that's the one that just came out this month. But there's one coming okay. out in April. Oh, it's Having the Time of Your Life. And that's okay. another 500 quotations about um, why we're here and how to enjoy the journey. So you pretty much write full-time and then do uh, workshops. Not full-time right? because I do speak. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know how you got your book published, but if, if you want a, a mainstream publisher, you've got to do a proposal. So... Right. The um, you can't ruin my day. You know that. I hate to say this, but that took me about two years to write just the proposal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, and um, because I I started out and it wasn't gelling, mm-hmm. and then I went back and then I showed it to a different. Um, agent that I had and he said you need more humor in it and so I did that and it just it just wasn't coming together as a writer you may sometimes feel that that it just something was missing mm-hmm. and then suddenly one day I, I was working on it and suddenly I realized 
The book needs to be in five sections, and the sections are Start Up, Wise Up, Grow Up, Crack Up, and Wrap Up. Oh, that's great. And then in each of those, because there's like 52 wake-up calls of how people could not give their power away, take back their power. Mm-hmm. And so within each of those ideas, there's three sections, three little parts to that chapter, which is wake up, which is the wake up call, the idea I'm talking about, and then follow up. So there's actually something they can go and do related to that idea. And then finally, with a humor comes, lighten up so that there's a funny story related to what they just read. Very clever, really. Well, thank you, Alan. We've run out of time. Oh, wow. Listeners. I know thank it you. went so quickly. Really went quickly. Um, thank you so much for being on our show. And uh, listeners, please um, join us again next Wednesday for our show. And I hope everybody has a wonderful evening. Bye-bye now. Bye. Thank you. We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have and follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit Got Cancer? Now What? for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What?